And the really plum jobs really come from networking, from getting to know people, and from getting to find out about the job before it actually becomes a job. So you're in relationship with people, and they think of you first. And they put that job out actually after sometimes, or they'll put it out and they'll immediately contact you and say, we think you'd be perfect and we, we have to advertise this, but we really, we, we really would like you, we invite you to apply. I personally have had numerous situations where that's happened. And that comes from being in relationship with people and from knowing how to network and how to bond with people. And ADHDers are great in one-on-one. So this is really, this is your forte. So you want to use this to your advantage. ADHD Rewired episode 279. This is the podcast for those of us with really good intentions and a slightly wandering attention. I'm Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker by training and a coach by design. I'm your host and I have ADHD. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community. We are wired for connection and you are not alone. Go to ADHDrewired.com to learn how you can join us in our free secret Facebook group. Get additional resources for every episode, including links to any resources we mention on today's show. You can support us on Patreon, sign up for our email newsletter, you can request podcast postcards to distribute to your clients and support groups, and you can learn all about our intensive online video-based coaching and accountability groups. You can do all of this at our website, ADHDrewired.com. We know that starting is the hardest part, so let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. Today's guest is Dr. Miriam Reese. Miriam is a ADHD career and life coach who's been helping ADHD adults create meaningful careers and lives for over 20 years. She's spoken at many ADHD events from ADA and the ADD uh, Diva Conference or uh, um, webinar to ACO uh, and Chad. Miriam is a master certified coach with the International Coach Federation and trains coaches as well. Dr. Reese, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Eric. Pleasure to be here. All right. So uh, where do you want to start with today's uh, today's interview? So you do I know a lot of stuff around career coaching, about developing your uh, uh, ADHD-friendly environment. How did you get into all of this? I got into it the way many ADHDers get into it. I was doing career counseling, and I had a client who came to me one day in tears and said, you have to read this book. And this was over 20 years ago. She said, you have to read this book. You will understand me. You will understand where I'm coming from. You will know me so much better. And the book she was talking about was Sari Soden's book, Women in ADD. Yeah. And I, I often will read recommendations and do things that my clients come to me with that, that feel meaningful for them. And so I wound up reading the book and I said, holy cow, there I am. Okay, so uh, like a lot of people, they they see they see this thing in writing and they're like, wow, oh, this book was written. Someone's been following me around, and uh, here it is. So you read this book and you reckon you saw yourself in it, and then what? Well, at that point, there wasn't a whole lot around on what was still called ADD and and the distinctions. We didn't know about the different types. We didn't know any of that stuff. Daniel Amen was still focused on ADD because he had a child who had it and that he was traveling around the country and the world talking about it. And he and I were colleagues at conferences, and I was based in, in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle at the time. And so I got very involved with my local community. 
And because there wasn't a lot written and there wasn't a lot of information, we were creating it as we went along. And that became the foundation for many of the things that are that are so now. There's much more literature on it. It's much more accepted. There are certainly still challenges. But at that point, when it, it was really an unknown, it was really an unknown factor. And we were doing what was considered to be at that time pioneering work. So that was really that was really how things began. I, I do have to ask. So what's your uh, your views on some of uh, Dr. Amen's stuff now? Well, uh, he's made a lot of shifts. When he first began, he was prescribing, he was writing prescriptions, and he was very much into meds, and he shifted a lot into supplements and more natural, more integrative methods, and his, his work has shifted. He's not focused on ADD, ADHD anymore, so I can't really comment on that. He uses, he, he talks about it in the past tense, and it's his framework now is more focused on the brain and on concussions and on athletes and on some of the things that are, you know, why people commit suicide, what's going on with their brain. So he's taken on a different, a different perspective. Okay, and 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 the reason I ask, especially for for listeners who may you know potentially be new, uh, Doctor Aim is a name that is out there. Uh, one of the things that uh, I just draw caution to to people is that this the the stuff that he has claimed uh, around spec scans, just the science does not support it. Um, and so I just think it's really important that we are looking at evidence based approaches to ADHD. And so um, when a a name like that does come up, um, I I do try to to um, help people understand sort of some of the, the nuances around, uh, you know, just because someone has a doctor, a doctor in front of the name doesn't mean that they're, you know, they're, they're an expert or have the latest thinking um, around it. So that's, that's the perspective that I want to share around that. But that's not why you are here today. You, you are here <laughs> to talk about uh, career coaching and helping create a more uh, ADHD friendly career, how to create a more uh, um, uh, friendly environment to uh, for the specific challenges that that people like myself, um, like yourself, have with ADHD. So, um, where do you start when you're working with a client? I really start with where they are. The work I do is really custom work, and I want to comment very briefly on what you said about evidence based work, which is that when. Sari Soden's book was written, there was no evidence-based work. And I personally believe that the whole trend, I wouldn't even say trend, but what's happening now with so many people, millions of people, diagnosed, undiagnosed people having it, is that we're still in some ways making it up as we go along. And if you're waiting for something to be evidence-based and you have your own personal evidence, my feeling is that that's something to pay attention to. So it would be wonderful if we all had evidence-based work in all of these areas. But in the career coaching field, there really isn't much of that. So what's happening is that people are looking for people who have guidance that works for them. And if there are enough people that it works for, after a while, that becomes the norm. So with career coaching, when people come to me, they really have some very, very specific questions. Sometimes they say, I'm in this job and I really don't see a way out of it. I feel pretty locked into it, but I'm really not happy. Sometimes people say, I know what I want to do, but it's scary for me. It's scary for me to leave my job. Sometimes they want to go into self-employment. And so there's, there are many conversations around that. 
And then sometimes they come to me and they say, well, I don't really know what I want to do. You know, it's a big, wide, open world out there. And I don't really know what I want to do. But I know for sure that I want to be, be working in an environment that is friendly for my brain. And so when I'm listening to people, I'm listening and we're working together to find that intersection point between how their brain works, what their skills are, what their values are, and what the world will support for them so that they can have a good living and not feel like they're spinning their wheels. A lot of folks that I talk to feel like they're adrift, like they're spinning their wheels. So I have I actually have a five-stage program that I take people through, and it's very custom. I'm not able to do that in a group, co group coaching type format. I find in the group work, people, at least in my experience, move a lot more slowly, and they have the support of the group. But by the time people come to me, they wanted their their fantastic career yesterday, um, and they're. I think it's true for for so many of us. Baby, is she everything we want? We want it yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So knowing that I'm looking for quick, but also thorough solutions, because many people that I work with have bounced around from job to job, or they've stayed in one or two jobs and been royally unhappy. Mm -hmm. So I don't I want to save them the pain of going from job to job to job. Because whenever we whenever a job doesn't work out for us, for whatever reason, we internalize it as human beings, and we take it as rejection. And sometimes when I'm working with people, they have so much rejection piled up inside them that we have to work through that just to get to the next steps. So there's the, the mind, there is the emotions, and then there's what's going on outside in the world. And there are new careers now that never existed before. Some of the careers I've helped my clients create are brand new careers. They didn't exist before they began them. So that's the beauty of the creativity that often comes with ADHD. So you said that you, you, you walk your clients through this five-step process. Could you walk us through that? Sure, absolutely. And there are actually five stages. Stages. And okay. yeah, and in the first and in the in the in the first stage, that's where we do a lot of deep inner work. People often come to me and the first thing they want to do is show me their resume. And the resume is actually one of the last things we work on because a resume is the completed action. That's what you show out into the world. That's what you show whoever you're interviewing with. That's who you show people when you know exactly where you're going and exactly what you want to do. That's your, that's your promotional ad. And people take a grand total of about 6 to 11 seconds to look at that resume. It used to be longer than that. But when you know that, that you have that kind of a, a micro look at your resume, it better be fast. It better be clear. It better be lasered. It better be focused. So when I'm working with people, we do the first stage is really inner work. And the inner work is around where are you at? Where would you like to be? What's the gap between where you are and where you want to go? And let's come up with a plan to bridge that gap. I do some assessment. There are coaches who do lots and lots of assessment. I used to do lots and lots of assessment. Often people come to me and they want to do assessment because they think somehow deep inside it's going to be this magic pill that's going to tell them exactly what they should be doing, where, when, and how. And it doesn't work that way. Assessments are written for Joe Average. And so your assessment is only good as the person who's interpreting your assessment. And I, I'm trained in a lot of them. So we typically do Myers-Briggs. Sometimes we do other, other assessments. But I'm very clear that the assessment is, is simply, it's a tool. It's a step. It's a vehicle. It's not the end all and be all. 
So that's the first stage. It's really, it's really one-on-one. It's building partnership. It's building relationship. It's me getting to know you. The second, the second stage is where we've started narrowing down some of the possibilities. And we're looking at what's really going to work for you. What not only looks good on paper, but is actually going to work. So you may say, well, I'd love to be an airline pilot, or I'd love to be this profession or that profession. And you might not be aware of some of the underbelly of that profession. So I'm using airline pilot today just as an example. So somebody might say, well, I love flying, but they don't realize that if you're a pilot, you have to deal with unions, you have to deal with politics, you have to deal with the urgency, emergency and challenges of of the airlines, whatever impact uh, the weather has on you, global warming, if you, if, you, if you see that as a factor. So, so all these things need to be factored in. So when people don't look at the big picture as far as a career goes, then they miss out on stuff. So the second stage is narrowing it down, learning to talk about yourself. So people say, when they ask you, what do you do? You know what that is. And the second stage also involves starting to get out there starting to look at how you talk about yourself, how you represent yourself, and really narrowing that down. We're starting to do resume work in the second stage. Third stage, we get the the resume really honed. We get your cover letter honed. We talk about networking. We look at how that all factors into your process. And you're really making steady progress straight along the way here. And we have check-ins, you have coaching fieldwork assignments at the end of every, every coaching session. And so you see, and then we have tracking mechanisms in place. So there's accountability for you and you're moving self, yourself along and you can see the progress, which often is really hard for ADHDers to see. There's a sense of, well, I made no progress because sometimes we don't acknowledge ourselves. We don't recognize what great things we're doing. And we dismiss it because we go, well, I don't have the job yet or I don't have the career yet. And this is really a process. And as you begin valuing yourself around the process, you start making more progress. So then at the, by the end of the third stage, you're clear on what you want to do and how to go about it. I just want to take a quick second just to, to uh, reflect what you just said. The, the value, the, the process to help you really see the progress. I think there's a, there's, that's, that's kind of a gem that I think a lot of us who are doing our own growth work that would be good for us to keep on in the forefront, maybe even writing that down as we're doing our own personal work. Uh, because, yeah, as we were saying earlier, we want everything and all of our progress to be yesterday, right? And so I think that really, really valuing our work as process-oriented work, I think uh, really there's a, lot, there's a lot of value in that. Thank you. I, I teach a lot on how to prize yourself, not how to praise yourself, but how to prize yourself. Prizing is very, very specific. So if you were to prize someone else, if you were to praise them, you'd say, that's a great tie. If you were to prize them, you would say, I really see, you really you really wear things that, that serve you, that do you justice. You look so professional. You have such great taste. And when you prize yourself, when you prize them, they'll sometimes blush. They really need to let it in because they can't just say, oh, this old thing. They really, you're really seen. And when you prize yourself, you really see yourself. You really see your value to yourself and in the world. So, so in the fourth stage, we look at, more about networking. We, we're continually winnowing your, your resume, continually sharpening it. And then we, we're talking about how you interview competitively. Now, 
when somebody, if I ask someone, how do you do a job interviews? And they say to me, well, I'm, I'm, I really do well at job interviews. And I will often say to them, great, tell me, what, how, tell me, how is that so? What do you mean by that? And they'll say, well, I'm pretty articulate. I'm pretty verbal. I'm, I'm good at talking. I'm good on my feet. Honestly, that tells me that they're clueless. That tells me they don't understand the game of careers. And when you understand the game, you know that you don't walk into an interview and just speak. And you have your answers prepared. I do role play with my clients. We, I do all kinds of coaching around this. So that I, I joke with them and I say, well, you should have your answers to these questions so down that someone, not me, could wake you at three in the morning and say, and ask you one of these questions, one of these, one of these 15 questions. And so you would, you would know that answer. You would have that down. It wouldn't sound staged. It wouldn't sound rehearsed, but you would have that answer down. And when, and you're going to know how to answer the questions you don't want to answer, the questions that are difficult answers for you. So we do a lot of rehearsing around that. And that gives people a lot of confidence in the interview. And when you're overprepared, like any great actor, that enables you to be fully present and to really speak from your heart, to speak from your enthusiasm, and to not worry about pleasing the interviewer. It's not about pleasing the interviewer. So many of us have that going. Pleasing the interviewer is not the game. The game is about standing out in a way that lets the interviewer see that you are so sharp that they would be a fool to not hire you. So when you go into that interview, it's imagine a seesaw. When you go into the interview, you're at the bottom of the seesaw and that interviewer is at the top because that interviewer knows they have the job and they don't know you from Adam. So to them, you're, you're nobody. You're one of a, a, any number of people that they're interviewing. By the end of the interviewer, end of the interview, that seesaw should be reversed where you're on top and that interviewer is saying to themselves, how can I get this person? I don't want them to escape. This is someone whom I really, really want on board with our organization. They're going to contribute so much value. They're going to be somebody that I will look good at, I will look good for because I helped hire this person. I brought them on board. So that's where you want to want to be. You want to reverse that seesaw. And it is a game. So I think that um, you're going to help us uh, and, and our listeners really get more strategies around that game. Uh, as soon as we come back from our first break, we will be right back with Dr. Miriam Reese, uh, who's going to help us figure out how to uh, get a more ADHD friendly career. So we will be right back. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. One of the big ways we work with people like you is through our intensive online video-based coaching and accountability groups. We offer these a few times a year. Our summer coaching and accountability groups just started, but it's not too late to start thinking about the fall. If you want to be one of the first to get invited to register when we open registration for our fall sessions, make sure to go to coachingrewired.com and click the yellow button that says Click here to be the first to get invited to register for fall sessions when registration opens. That's what the button says. Then share with me your email and I'll be sure that you get invited to our next registration event. If you are new to the podcast, I'm glad you're here. Our coaching and accountability groups have helped more than 500 adults gain skills, acceptance, and connection. This fall at the International Conference on ADHD, 
Chad is recognizing the coaching groups as an innovative program of the year for its impact it's had on the ADHD community. Like this recent coaching group grad who is now a member of our alumni membership community. I decided to join this group because I've never handled life change really that well. When I graduated high school into college was extremely difficult. Going into adult life after college was extremely difficult, both mentally, physically, and emotionally. And as a newly diagnosed ADHDer, I was looking for ways that I thought I could fix the things that made it most difficult. And what I really realized throughout this group is that I do have strategies and things put into place that can help me with those, but more so that I am not neurotypical. I'm not like everyone else. And it is great to see a group of people that I am like, and that I can still be okay through those things. If you want to join this group, what are the actions you can take right now to make it easier for you to join our next group? Can you block out time on your calendar now? Sessions are going to be Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We're going back to Fridays, starting October 7th, going through December 20th. Can you start saving some money now? Can you go to coachingrewired.com and add your name to the registration list so you get notified when registration reopens? Can you start talking to your significant others about wanting to take this group? I really want you to think about this. What can you do now that really would make it easier for you to join one of our groups when the time comes? Take a moment, maybe pause the audio and create a plan. If you want to learn more or sign up to be notified and get invited when registration opens, go to coachingrewired.com. That's coachingrewired.com. All right, we are back with Dr. Miriam Reese, and uh, she was just walking us through the five stages that she works uh, through with her clients. And where we just left off was you help your clients go into an interview where the the employer would be foolish not to hire this person. So let's kind of dive in a little bit more to some of those strategies that you work with your clients. Um, to So an employer does think that because you know, I've worked with so many uh, uh, clients who have been, you know, they've been looking for, for jobs for, for way too long. And I'm just thinking, you know, if you've been doing the same thing for this long, it's probably time to start doing something different. Yes, absolutely. So often people will say to me, and and honestly, the longer someone's been looking for a job, the more discouraged they get. And when someone's, and when I often will say to people, tell me, what have you been doing so far? How are you finding out about jobs? What are you, how are you bringing this forward for yourself? What are your strategies? What are you doing? And then I listen very closely to what they're doing. And Often what people will tell me is that they're going online and they're finding job postings online. And they get so discouraged that they send in a zillion resumes and they get all excited and then they never hear back or it turns out that it's not the thing that they wanted. And they don't even, often the times they don't even get a response back and they're waiting, thinking that here they've sent their their resume into the ethers and gosh, somebody should be calling them, but it it doesn't happen. And that's because that's not how people generally get jobs. There are a few industries where people are 
are where it's possible to get hired that way. Um, IT is one of those industries. There, there are a couple of industries where, where, peop, where, where applying to jobs online is more the norm. But most of the time, when you're applying to a job online, what happens is that the company has put that in just because of some sort of regulation that says they, sh- they need to promote it and make it a public announcement. So often many of the jobs that you see online are jobs that either have already been taken or not real jobs or jobs that other people in the company don't want because there are two or three jobs put together or you're working for some or you'd be working for someone who is a horrendous boss or there's some kind of change that the company is going through that that makes it absolutely awful. So when you're looking at those jobs, somebody has created those jobs to make them sound good. And it's an illusion to think those jobs are actually available. There's a very tiny percentage of people who actually get jobs online. And the really plum jobs really come from networking, from getting to know people, and from getting to find out about the job before it actually becomes a job. So you're in relationship with people, and they think of you first. And they put that job out actually after sometimes, or they'll put it out and they'll immediately contact you and say, we think you'd be perfect and we, we have to advertise this, but we really, we, we really would like you, we invite you to apply. I personally have had numerous situations where that's happened. And that comes from being in relationship with people and from knowing how to network and how to bond with people. And ADHDers are great in one-on-one. So this is really, this is your forte. So you want to use this to your advantage. If it's easy, if it's too easy on your end to just apply and click a button, trust that that there's more to it and that there's, that's not the way to go. So it's going to take you getting out probably of your comfort zone and learning how to do that in such a way that you're not wasting time and not wasting effort. Many of the folks that I coach are employed and they have a limited amount of time to put into this process. So we need to take the the right steps and sometimes micro steps to make it work. So when... You have a, you have someone who's looking for for work, and um, you're telling them, "Well, you gotta you gotta do more outreach. You gotta do more networking." And they're like, "Oh, I hate networking. I'm terrified of it." What, what do you what do you tell them? Well, it has networking has the word work in it, which I think makes makes anybody recoil. So I totally I totally get that. And uh, I'm an ambivert. I'm sometimes introverted, sometimes extroverted, and so. Networking is not my, you know, not my favorite thing to do. So I have a lot of empathy, a lot of compassion for people who say that to me or for people who say, I've got a network, I'm going to network and then put it off week after week. So I pay close attention in our tracking to what people are and aren't doing. So we look at alternative means of meeting people. We look at alternative strategies and it really, it needs to be very customized to the industry. So when you're working in an industry where people are putting in overtime. So for example, if you if you're if you're in if you're a CPA and you're looking for a CPA job and, and again I'm just giving an example here. CPAs are so overworked. They rarely take time off to go to association meetings. Tax time is practically a year round these days. And so you need to reach out to them in different ways. I teach people to work with LinkedIn in a way that is more productive than they may have done before. I teach them how to show up. I teach them how to use Glassdoor. I teach them how to use a lot of different sites and a lot of different ways of being that, again, are customized to them. Is and their Show job. Up a platform? 
show up, show up is a. <laughs> <laughs> wait, because I, I was hearing what you were saying, and then it like, wait, it, it was that was in between LinkedIn and I think Glassdoor is another platform that I think I've heard of. So I was like, wait, I don't think she's saying show up as like a euphemism. <laughs> I'm using it. I'm using it as a euphemism. Oh, you I'm are? Using, okay. All I'm right. using it. Uh, thank you for checking. I'm, I, I'm using it, Eric, as a way of, of finding out your style and what works for you and what you can actually do and be okay with. Because if you're showing up to an event, for example, to a networking event, and you hate networking, you're going to hang by the drinks. You're going to hang by the hors d'oeuvres. You're not going to want to go out and mingle with people. So I do a lot of work with people around that. I do a lot of work with people around their personality style and how they can be their best self. And know that if you're an introvert, many of the people you may want to meet in your industry are introverts. So that's going to take some finesse. That's going to take some skill to actually show up, to actually show up <laughs> in such a way that people relate and that they respond to you. So some of what we're doing also is what some people might call social or emotional intelligence. Some of it is, 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 is skill-based. People tell me that the things they learn from the work that, that we do, they're still using 10, 20 years later. So these are life skills, life career coaching skills that we're talking about. They're not things that you use once and toss. So depending on your your age, you know, subtract that from whatever age you plan to retire. And that's how long you're going to be using this skill set. So let me ask you this. I often see this question uh, posed on, in different uh, online forums that, that someone was just diagnosed with ADHD. What's what's the best job for somebody with ADHD? How, how do you I'm, I'm sure you get that, an, that question a lot. How do you answer that? Uh, I I actually get that uh, that question occasionally, but the people that I'm working with have often had careers that don't fit, that they don't like, and they know what they don't want to do. And to me, that's extraordinarily valuable. I like to work with people who already have a job history because that helps us eliminate a lot of things. So if people say to me, well, you know, what's a good job for for people who have ADHD? A good job is a job where you feel valued and respected and honored and where the people that you work with listen to you and where you're using your skill set and you're fairly compensated for the work that you do and you enjoy it. You don't feel like you're getting up in the morning and going, oh crap, I have to go to this job and I can't wait till the weekend. So, so it's very, very individual. It would be great if we're white, one size fits all, but that would also make it more competitive if it were. So, so the, the actuality here is that the best job is the one that takes everything that you are into consideration. And given the many different types of ADD, ADHD that there are at this point, we get to look at what kind are you? Where, where are you in that, in that range? And I, t I work with people who have all kinds of different skill sets. They might be actors, they might be in IT, they might be lawyers. And you might say to yourself, what, how does somebody with ADD do all that and, or do those particular skill sets? And the brain is a very interesting thing. When we are very much uh, in love with or in like with a certain career, we will find a way to make it work. So you may find that's, that other people might go, how do you do that with your, with your ADHD? And yet, because you enjoy it, because you value it, some part of your brain will rise to the occasion and you yeah. will be able to do things that you might not ordinarily be able to do. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's when, when I'm asked that question about what, what kind of job should someone with ADHD do, uh, do, you know, it's, it always starts with, well, it depends. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. and the, my first response is always, well, what are you interested in? Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's when, when we're interested in something, um, you know, it's uh, the, the impairments that come with ADHD tend to not be as, impairing right mm-hmm. like if you find something fascinating and engrossing it's you know i mean people talk about hyper focus or whether or flow but it's easier to get into a state where you're really firing on all cylinders um when you are interested in what you're doing because it's you know it doesn't matter how much money you're making you can be making tons and tons of money but if you don't like what you're doing you know that's only going to last for so long it will slowly kill you and i don't say this like i'm giving some sort of psychic verdict or something like that. It's just that I work with a lot of people of all different ages and they will say to me, I've had health challenges. I've had people I've worked with who basically got cancer from their jobs. They hated it so much. They internalized that, that hatred and it wound up making them chronically ill in a very dramatic kind of a way. So I like to catch people before they get themselves sick and I will work with people at any stage of this process. And I also know that how you feel about something makes all the difference in the world. These are the primo hours of your day that you're giving to this thing called your job. And if you don't enjoy it, you're going to spend that time resenting it. And resenting it means sending it back into your body. That's what resentment is. And when you're doing that, it will take you down. It can't help but take you down. Plus, you wear down all the people around you who are listening to you complain and who are watching you be so unhappy. So you're not only imp- impacting yourself, you're, there's a ripple impact on the people that are around you. And they're not happy either when when they're listening to you and and you're so dejected and so frustrated and so angry with your boss or your job or the people around you. So I want to ask uh, a couple other questions about setting up our environment. I also want to talk a little bit about um, how to know if self-employment is the right thing uh, uh, for you. What I want to do first, I was take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to tackle uh, those topics and possibly some others that we haven't thought of yet. But we will be right back. I want to thank all our monthly patrons who support ADHD Rewired over at ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. Your support helps me get this show out to you each week. Your support has funded two $750 scholarships for our fall coaching groups, and we are looking forward to announcing the details to that, hopefully in about two weeks. Your support does a lot for ADHD Rewired, and there are lots of reasons to become a patron. Most perks start at the $5 a month level, which gives you access to a bunch of patron-only content. Another perk is available to patrons who give at the $25 a month level, and that's to get an invitation to join a monthly small group coaching session led by me. We do that every fourth Tuesday of the month at 3 p.m. Central. Mark your calendars. Our next ones will be July 23rd and August 27th. Hit pause so you can add that to your calendar. To become a patron or to increase your pledge so you can partake in these monthly coaching sessions, go to ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. That's ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. And thanks. All right. We are back with Dr. Miriam Reese. Um, so when, when we left off, I, I asked you a question about the environment. When we're talking about creating an ADHD-friendly environment, what, what does that mean? 
It would be wonderful if you could go into a job interview and tell the person that you're talking to that you have ADD or that you have ADHD. People don't know, still don't know what it is. They're still afraid of it. They're still wary of it. When you're interviewing someone, when you're interviewing with someone, they want to see if you are a good fit. They want to see if you uh, will fit into their organization, if you're going to be able to do the job. And they're looking for reasons to eliminate you. So if you tell them that, that might be a reason that they come up with to eliminate you. And we don't want to create anything that would result in elimination. So to be clear, you're saying do not self-disclose at a job interview. Right, right. However, there are questions you can ask. You can ask about your office. You can ask about your working environment. You can ask about the collegiality of people around you. You can ask about teamwork. You can ask to see the physical space. And all those things will be helpful. So that will tell you, do you need to have some kind of headset, some kind of noise blocker? Do you need to do something else to make it desirable and workable for you? So when you talk about yourself, you want to talk about the environments that create optimal productivity for you. That would be one of the phrases that I might use. How do you bring up, where do you do, and how do you do your best work? Because people do understand that. So optimal productivity is where optimal productivity might be, well, I work best at 8 a.m. in the morning in a closed space. I work best at 2 in the afternoon in an environment where there's soft music. I work best in an environment where I can go back and forth outside my cube with other people and talk to them and shoot ideas back and forth and brainstorm. So again, you get to describe to whoever you're talking to what is your optimal environment. Now, if you start off at the beginning of the interview and you're insistent on that, I would say that will get you disqualified. You want to ask this when you're in, when you're well into the interview and it looks like that seesaw has, has shifted so that they're in your, they're, they're favorable towards you and they want it. They want you to be in your optimal environment because you're going to produce your best work. And every company is about the bottom line. Every company is about productivity. They could care less about really making you happy or making you comfortable and they will grudgingly do that because that's how they get you. So so even the most enlightened companies, I don't care how many ping pong tables or pool tables they have in their office, I don't care how many free snacks and free lunches they provide, they really are it's all about getting what the, the most that they can from you. So you have to ask questions that will serve you that will be on your behalf. If you're again, if you're busy focused on pleasing the interviewer, that will not serve you. You need to ask questions that take your best interest in mind. And you need to do that in a way that's grace, graceful and gracious because you are in an environment where your social skills are being measured. So because I think it's really important that uh, when, when interviewing, I mean, I, I feel fortunate that I have not had to interview for a job in a long time. Um, but one of the things I always did when I interviewed for jobs is I would once I recognized that, OK, I think that they are actually interested in me. I, in a sense, I would turn the tables and I would be interviewing them. And I think that from from the way I felt that that worked for me um, was that also showed a level of self-awareness of what I'm looking for in my work environment. It also shows a level of confidence um, and I know how I work best. Um, and I think that sometimes people are afraid to, to do that. They're afraid to ask hard questions of their, the potential employer. And you're saying, yes, ask those questions 
But first, kind of get the flow of the interview going first. When you come into an interview and you come in from a place of self-respect and you come in from a place where you're valuing yourself and you come in from a place where you know what your contribution will be, your questions are going to be smart questions and you're going to be asking that from an entirely different place than you would otherwise because they pick up on that. They pick up in your energy. Just as you might see someone from a distance away and you might and, and you might be able to pick up if that person's in a bad mood or maybe they didn't have a good night of sleep or maybe they're preoccupied, just as you can pick up on their energy without them saying a word, in the same way, your interviewer will pick up on that with you as well. So know that this is very much about how you project and how you show up and how you package yourself. So I work a lot with people around Zoom. We look at sometimes things like how to dress. You may assume that you know certain things, and I may just want to check on that. But there may be some ways you can tune up and really refine how you show up both physically, energetically, in your voice, in your, in your demeanor. In uh, some of the places, some of the people that I've worked with put question marks at the end of their sentences. It's the, we call it in California, we call it the valley girl, the valley girl syndrome. And when you sound like you have a question at the end of your sentence, you're transmitting that you're not sure of yourself. So if I say, my name is Miriam then it looks like I'm not sure my name, what my name is and, and who wants to hire someone who isn't sure about their identity so and isn't sure about themselves. So how you project confidence, how you project self-esteem really, really matters. Now, you ask about self-employment, and I don't want to get that. I don't want to overlook that question. You asked that a little while ago, and I, I want to get to that because a lot of ADD or ADHDers are looking at self-employment. Now, some of us are reluctant entrepreneurs. Some of us back into entrepreneuring because we can't seem to get hired by a company or we can't seem to keep a job or we don't like our boss and too many things happen and we finally say, forget it, I'm going to work for myself. Um, being self-employed has more to do with than what you're actually doing in terms of the product or the service that you're offering. I mean, this is where your brain really comes into full force. If you don't really look at your ADHD, if you don't really look at how your brain works, you will not have the self-discipline, you will not have the structure, you will not have the mental attitude, you will not have the emotional resilience to stay in an even in an even place while you're doing it because otherwise you're going to go up and down with the vicissitudes of being self-employed. So if you say to yourself, well, I'll work if I feel like it, that won't work. I don't feel like working today because my ADD is in, is, is, is in full, full impact, full force, that won't work. So there's a certain there's a certain way of being with yourself and really conquering and mastering and having a skill set and tools around your brain so that you're really doing compensation in a very healthy and very clear way so that you show up and you promote yourself, you market yourself, you do all the things that are part of having a business and being in business. And when you do that, you will be successful. Some of the work I also do because I'm a former 
marketing director, marketing VP, is helping people around marketing their business. I've had many ADDers, ADHDers over the years who've come to me and said, I have this business, I'm doing what I love, but I'm not making the income from it. I don't have the number of clients I want. And I've heard that so many, many times. And I do a lot of workshops. I've done a lot of webinars on marketing for introverts, marketing for ADHDers. I've done a lot of that. I'm, that's very in the bones familiar for me. And so I work with people a lot around that too. I, I, being self-employed is not for the faint-hearted because you are with yourself. Even if you go to an office and work with strangers and it's one of these places where you rent space, even if you're working with other people, you still come home to yourself and you're still with yourself every moment of the day. So you need to know how to work with yourself, how to deal with yourself, how to have internal strategies in place and external strategies in place so that you really can run a successful business. Many people that I, I have known over the years started out as coaches. I was president of the Washington State chapter of the International Coach Federation. I've been on ADD boards. I've talked at summits, been on panels, all that kind of stuff. And many people have come to me over the years and said, I want to be a coach. And they're all lit up about becoming a coach, but they don't realize the underlying business and business principles that are involved in it. And they might be a great coach, but they don't last because they don't know, they don't understand the business of it and they don't do the business of it. And that's hugely essential and critical. Yeah, no, just to sort of uh, uh, second that with, um, I was talking recently with a, with a, a therapist who was thinking about uh, transitioning more to doing online work, doing more, more coaching. And I asked this question, well, how do you feel about marketing? And uh, she was like, you know, I can I probably have some stuff to learn about it. I said, how do you feel about spending about 50% of your time marketing? And she, her eyes got really wide and it's like, well, doing if you're going to do you know any kind of online business coaching whatever it is a ton of your time will be spent marketing because it doesn't matter how great you are if nobody knows about it you don't have a business right there are a lot of unfortunately there are a lot of there are a lot of coaches out there who aren't aren't great coaches but they're good at marketing that's true and too. I've come across a lot of them and they, you know, they just, you know, they're good at the business part of it, but they're not terribly good at coaching people. They're not terribly good at career coaching. They're not terribly good at life coaching or business coaching. And yet they flourish because they understand the business of it. So you get to really look and have some discernment around who's offering what and what is, what's their why, what's really underlying it and how, um, how are they showing up? Are they working with you in a way that really supports you. So as coaches, we're in the before and after business. People come in and they, they come in to work with me. They're not the same when they leave. They come to me 10 years, 15 years, 20 years later, and they and they're still using the tools. They're still using the skills. They, they, they joke that they still hear my voice in their head. Um, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, but that that's what they tell me. And they're still, they're thriving. You know, they'll send me emails and they'll, you know, or texts and they'll say, oh, I just got published in such and such magazine, or I just won this award. And it's really cool because that's what I live for. I live for the victories. I live for celebrating with them and for them. And that, that makes my day. So when you're, so let's say you're working with someone who's struggling at, a, at their job right now. And so I want to really uh, bring it back to uh, the, the environment, because I think invite, you know, so much of managing our life with ADHD, um, you know, outside of medication is setting up an environment that is conducive to doing what it is that we're trying to do. 
So how do you how do you help clients do that? Do you take like an inventory of like what their challenges are and then ask them things that they've tried? Like how do you walk uh, uh, your clients through that? Well, I think of it as like one of these, you know, you know, think of a, a big ball of, of digital device wires, you know, just wires that are all together. When they come to you, they got all these wires. And so my job is to pick them apart and separate them strand by strand and untangle them and really help them figure out uh, what the various strands are. So sometimes somebody will say to me, I want to leave my job. I hate my job. But then when we actually look at their job description, we find that they're not really doing some of the things that are in their original job description. I had someone who came to me some years back who said, I, I don't like my job. I feel like a secretary at my job. And that shouldn't be because I'm an executive, I mean, I'm an executive director here. I shouldn't be doing all this other stuff. And then we looked at their job and they realized as we really picked it apart that they weren't maximizing their job description. They weren't working it. And what happened was they never had to leave their job. In fact, they got promoted even higher up from that because once they really started doing the things that were in their job description, we talked about how to do that, how to make that work. And once that happened, they never had to leave their job. Their job was perfect for them. So I don't assume if you say to me, I want to quit my job tomorrow or at the end of the day today, I don't assume that that really is the way to go. It's sort of like, a marriage. You don't leave a marriage without good reason because otherwise you're just going to duplicate it and find a spouse with a different hair color who has the same qualities. It doesn't work very well. And also finding that that you there there will be things probably in any job, even when you've created your own job, that you would like to not have to do. And so I think that's also important. How do you manage uh, the sort of the expectations of yeah, they, they do call it work for a reason. There are things that are going to be hard and then are going to be maybe boring and aren't, you know, maybe hitting your strengths. Um, but I, th- I think it's important to look at, all right, well, what percentage of your time is spent doing that? And what what do you see as being reasonable for someone saying, all right, like, I hate this part of the job. It stresses me out. Like, what percentage of your time would you say is a very kind of a, a fair, reasonable ratio for someone to do the work they love to do versus doing the work that they, you know, would rather like poke needles in their eyes than have to do? I don't look at it from a ratio perspective. Okay. And I'm, I'm a very quantitative person. I love measuring stuff. I mean, I love the market research part when I was a marketing director. So I really love that. However, when somebody tells me they hate something, I want to find out from them in their mind what proportion of their job do they think that is? What have they, if they've magnified it, what have they magnified it into? So I coached someone some time back and I'm wanting to give you some, some anonymous examples just to make this real for you so that you know these are real people that, that we're working with here. So I worked with someone some time back who liked their job, actually enjoyed their job, but it bugged them that their company wasn't socially conscious. It bugged them that their company didn't give back in any way to their community, never wouldn't even think about anything like Habitat for Humanity. And that was one of the examples they used. It would never, would never ever have people reach out and give back. And it bugged them to such a degree that they were ready to leave their position. And so we tried to instill some of that in the company and it wasn't happening. The company just wasn't open to it. They were all profit driven and that was the only thing they could think of. And so I worked with my client to find a new job, a, diff- a different job. 
And it turned out that the job itself, once they shifted, was not all that different. But the company was a conscious company, socially conscious, otherwise conscious. And my, my client was thrilled. They were ecstatic. So each of us has different criteria, and we need to pay attention to those criteria because that's what makes us human. That's what makes us unique. That's what makes us who we are. So I want to pay. That's why this work is so custom for me. That's why that takes some digging to find that out. I was uh, I was listening recently to a podcast. I'm trying to remember which which podcast it was. It was on on uh, on uh, leadership and coaching. And uh, they were talking about the that one of the the shifts in sort of the 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 marketplace for people who are looking for jobs is that that with like especially with millennials like they are now almost expecting that a company is a socially conscious company that it's not just about autonomy anymore it's not just about you know the the perks or as you were saying they have the the free snacks and the coffee and the ping pong table it's like that's not enough it's they want to be part of a. Uh, of a, a of a professional community that's doing good in the world as well, and mm-hmm. so when yeah. he said that, yeah. it was sort of connecting that that trend that that I uh, was just recently learning about. I think it's a great trend because it says to companies that they need to wake up, they need to be conscious, they're not just in it for their own personal good. And and some industries have are better at that than others. Some companies are more enlightened than others. So I, I wanted to finish the, the, the five stages in my program because that somehow that yeah, got lost. So I want to make sure we finish that for anybody who's still hanging in for that. So so the fourth I know it's, it's fourth, a miracle when you have more than two if we get to like all of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> I understand. So in the fourth stage, we're doing the interviewing, you get offered the job, we've covered salary negotiation, too many people never negotiate salary, we rehearse that, we do a lot of role play around that, we've done a lot of work in the fourth stage around everything so that it comes to fruition, you get the offer. And then the fifth stage is once you actually start working for the company. Typically, when you start, you're on a one to three month probationary period. And maybe you ha- you said certain things in the interview. This is when you get to find out if there are any surprises. And I have a lot of questions that I have my clients ask that you would not think of that are part of the job interview. Can you share some of those? No. <laughs> no, of course not. Those are confidential. Those are between you and my clients. But there are but there are a lot to them. And I say that with love because there are some things that are really that are really make you competitive, that really make you unique in the interview. So so what happens that when you start in the probationary period, your people, your your company is going to be looking at you really, really, really closely. And they're going to be looking to see are you are you delivering? And their criteria may have changed. And so what happens is that you get to see, you get to go beyond what they said about themselves, what the interviewer or interview panel or people who talk to you said and what they actually deliver. And there is always, as you can imagine, a gap between what they say and what they do. And sometimes the gap is narrow and sometimes the gap is wide. So it's important to me that we coach you in this fifth stage through that part of the process so that you actually will stay with the company and so that you can shift or correct or ameliorate anything that might have been a misunderstanding and also so you can hold them to their word. So sometimes I've I've had the situation where someone will promise something to someone in an interview and then not deliver. So this is the time frame where you have the most power. The early months of your job 
are the times when you, that is the time when you have the most power and where when you say, oh, I'd like to do this workshop, I'd like to do this webinar, I'd like to do this retreat, I'd like to do this program, they will say yes because they want to keep you. And then after six months to a year, they close up shop around that. Then they go, I'm sorry, we don't have budget for that and all of that. So these early months are when you establish yourself and where you create and establish your style for doing the job. And so you really want to take advantage of the benefits that might be available to you, the budget that they might have to teach you, to train you. Sometimes when somebody tells me that they hate their job, it's because they haven't had the training that they really needed to do the job. So I will tell you, one of the questions that I have people ask during the interview is all, always about training. And in very specific ways, I have them ask questions specific to their industry about the training that they're going to be re receiving. And to get really, there are some very nuts and bolts questions that you can ask. Often when people hate their jobs, it's because they didn't ask the right questions during the interview. They were too bent on pleasing the interviewer. And so they came out of it and they they just, they, they, they thought they wowed them and perhaps they did, but then they get into the job and they find out that the job is not at all what they thought it was going to be. So part of your interview is really to be a detective, to be a sleuth and to unearth what you need to find out, to find out if you're going to, if you and your brain and your body are going to be comfortable in that job. And sometimes you want to ask the same question of more than one interviewer because each interviewer comes in with their own perspective. The person who's interviewing you who's an HR person versus the person who's a, the manager whom you report to may have entirely different answers to the same question. So you want to find out different perspectives. You want to do a lot of research beforehand on the company so that you're asking smart questions. And we're, we're getting close to the end here. Um, I'm wondering for someone who maybe is a um, beginning in their professional career, um, you know, when I, I when I'm giving presentations, I'll, I'll I sometimes talk about the struggle that I've had in, in finding sort of what it, what it was that I was going to do. Uh, when I share that I had 21 jobs at the time I was 21, depending on the spottiness of your your work history, how do you how do you help? people or what do you suggest to people who have a maybe a little bit of a spotty work history or have been fired from jobs or things like that? I go into a lot of detail with people around that because they often have lots of fear and anxiety around how they're going to answer questions. And we create their resume in a way that is not, it's not lying, it's not deception, but it really puts their best foot forward. And I'm a former advertising copywriter, so I use my writing skills with them and I work with them around how do you position yourself? Because again, your resume is an advertisement for you. It's a self-promotion. And it's a way that you brag in some very, very specific ways. And 9.9 .9 times out of 10, when somebody shows me the resume that they've got that they think is great, I guarantee you, it won't be. It won't be a competitive resume, no matter what your friends or your family or someone else told you. So we really stage it in such a way. I have had years of doing outplacement work with um, nationally and internationally known firms. I've worked with people at all levels of organizations, CEOs down to people who are administrative level, file clerk level. And so I have a lot, a lot of deep experience around helping people create resumes that show them in a way that showcase them. 
So that's the first step. Your cover letter needs to showcase you. And you need to talk about yourself in the interview in such a way that when people ask you those questions, you've got your answers down. And it's going to, this is not a, I I don't have a one size fits all way of answering. How do I answer this question about why do I leave my last job? It depends on you and those circumstances, but I help you or, and I help you create an answer that is reasonable, where what you want people to do is to move on and to focus on the job at hand. If you have a lot of anxiety or resentment about the company you worked for, or you're fearful of that question, guess where that interview is going to go and guess what they're going to dwell on and guess what's going to eliminate you. So it's really important to be have that be very rehearsed, to role play that and to do that in such a way. And I grill people on that. We practice that over and over again beforehand so that it's really set. So if you're getting the feeling as I'm talking about this, that you are well prepared when you go into those interviews, that's absolutely true. That's 1000% true. You want to go into that and really, really know your stuff and really, really strut your stuff. And I teach people specific ways to brag. And that that is an art form and a science in and of itself, how you talk about yourself and how you brag about yourself so people don't experience it as bragging, but they get the value of what you're offering and who you are and what you represent. So with, with that said, it makes sense why you begin with helping clients do deep inner work first. Yes, yes. It all just starts with you. And especially when you've got a brain thing that you're dealing with. And some of the people I work with are dealing with ADD. Some of them are dealing actually with Asperger's. Some of them are Mensa folks who are so brilliant, but they don't have the wherewithal to, to answer in ways that serve them. So I, I listen very closely to how you track, how your brain tracks how you answer questions. So some of the work we do may be how you speak, how you represent yourself. And often for people, it's paradigm shifting. You may have thought you were okay because your friends love you and you figure that your family loves you and you think that that's fine and that's great. And no one has really come in and said, hey, I invite you to to listen to this. You know, maybe you're someone who would speak in paragraphs on the interview and the interviewer can't get a word in edgewise. Maybe you're answering questions on the spot. That is the ADHD or demise on interviewers with interviews. If you if you're good at speaking, you're good at talking, you will unfortunately say things that you shouldn't be saying on that interview and you will leave and you'll say, what the heck did I say? Or you won't even know that you said things that that really got you into trouble and you put your foot in your mouth and you thought your mouth was closed. <laughs> so this is really, this is really, you know, this is re- we really do, you know, as, as folks you used to say, you know, soup to nuts, you know, with all of this stuff, you know, really very, I'm very detailed with people. We're very, very nuts and bolts, but we also get very visionary. I have people who are I have a client or had a client who uh, is uh, who does cartooning for the for the write, car, writes cartoon books for the library industry. I have had a client who who does alternative uh, burial ceremonies. Some of these people invented and created their careers when they started. They were pioneers. They nobody had done that before. And this came about from the deep work that they did and how they how they evolved. And it doesn't mean there aren't people who come to me who have very very usual careers, but I, I deal with both, you know, just a wide representation of, of all that comes up. And we're so creative as ADHDers. So know that your career may, may want to reflect that. 
So, uh, Dr. Reese, if I can ask you, if people wanted to uh, reach out to you and uh, they, they're looking for some help with their, with their careers, how could they reach you? Best way to reach me is Miriam at wisdomcoaching.com. I spill it M like Mary, I like international, R like Richard, I like international, A like American, M like Mary. And it's wisdomcoaching.com. That's the absolute best way to reach me uh, any time of day or night, whatever time zone or country you happen to be in. And it would be my pleasure to talk with you and see where you want to go and see what makes sense. I offer a free, a complimentary consultation and we will talk actually for up to an hour. That's what I offer people. And I do that because I want to be generous. It, 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 you, you may or may not need coaching and I want to be in service to you. I'm in your corner here. I know your situation. I understand. And I want to find out what you would like. My, my job really is to serve and to really be of service to you as best I can in your journey and in your process. Again, your work takes the bulk of your day. It takes the best hours of your day. Why not make the most of it? I think that's great. And I think that's a great place to, uh, to end. Uh, we will put the link to your website on, uh, on our website, um, which will be at adhdrewired.com slash whatever episode number this happens to be. Um, just put that number right at the end of the, that, uh, after the forward slash. So, uh, Dr. Mary McReese, thank you so much for uh, spending the hour with me. And uh, any final thoughts you want to leave listeners with? Your career is worth it and you are worth it. Don't feel that you have to settle for your career. Don't feel that you have to tolerate it. Don't rationalize. The word rationalize is actually two words, rational and lies. So don't tell yourself that you have to, you have to settle for what you have because of your, your ADD or ADHD. Don't tell yourself that. This is your life that we're talking about. It's your precious life. And we want to serve you by really getting the most of it. When you're lit up about your work, it, it, it's like it, it leaks. It leaks into and ripples into every part of your life. It leaks and ripples into all of your relationships. There's nothing more fun than being with somebody who loves their work. Mm. And I would want you to love your work. Mm. Well, thank you so much. You're very welcome. This is Eric Tivers. Thank you for listening and congratulations for making it to the end. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, growing, and connection. The website is ADHDrewired.com. You can find summaries and additional resources for each episode. You can apply to our free and secret Facebook community. You can learn more about ADHD Rewired's intensive online video-based coaching and accountability groups and sign up for my email newsletter to get exclusive content you won't get anywhere else. It's all at ADHDrewired.com. While you're there, click the Patreon button. If you're a regular listener and you're still listening to my voice, Consider making a monthly contribution by becoming a patron through our Patreon page. If you are able to financially support my work, it would mean a lot. This show is free to listeners, but it is not free to produce. And patrons get really cool perks. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Tibbers. You can like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ADHD Rewired. If you're a coach, therapist, or related professional, connect with me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash Eric Tibbers. You can also subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube. And you can subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube and see select interviews and some other videos I've posted. Podcasts change lives. You can make a difference in someone's life by spreading the word about this podcast. Mention it in your online communities on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, or wherever you hang out online. 
And be sure to share it with your friends and your family and your clients, as well as your coaches, therapists, and doctors. And if you're a coach, therapist, doctor, or ADHD support group leader, and you would like a pack of podcast postcards to hand out, you can request those at my website, ADHDrewired.com. And if you're a member of Chad or any other ADHD support group, please be sure to tell them about this podcast. You can even show them how to download it on their phone. You know, you might be the person that turns somebody on to a podcast for the very first time. And if you really love this episode, please consider hitting share on your podcast player. I'm only one person and I count on you to help me spread the message. One of the biggest things that you can do to support this podcast and to help other people discover it is to leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, or any other podcast app that accepts ratings and reviews. And don't forget to hit subscribe on this podcast on your podcast app so new episodes are automatically pushed to your favorite podcast app. Looking for more ways to listen and learn? Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash ADHD Rewired. Not sure where to start? In no particular order. Check out Atomic Habits by James Clear, The Body Keeps Score by Bessel van der Kolk, 10% Happier, and Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. These are both by Dan Harris. Change Your Questions and Change Your Life by Marilee G. Adams. The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. Procrastinate on Purpose by Rory Vaden. The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. Do you have trouble asking for help? Listen to The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer. It's one of the best produced audiobooks I've ever heard. If you're looking for something a little bit more, say, magical, I unexpectedly fell in love with the Harry Potter series. And I don't usually listen to those kinds of books. And I loved it. And of course, if you haven't yet boarded the Brene Brown bus yet, check out Brene Brown's books, starting with The Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, The Power of Vulnerability, and if you're an entrepreneur or a leader in any capacity, check out her 2018 book, Dare to Lead. And Brene still is my most wanted guest. So if you know Brene, you would be so kind to make that connection for me. I will be really, really grateful. You know who else I would like to have on the show? You. Click the podcast tab at ADHDrewired.com and then click the Be a Guest button at the top of that page and schedule a 15-minute pre-interview. This is Eric Tivers reminding you to keep learning, keep growing, and keep connecting. Self-care is not selfish, and no matter what gets done or doesn't get done, at the end of the day, you are still enough. And no matter how hard it feels, we can do hard things. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next week.